Welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're so glad you're listening with us today. What does it mean to be God strong? We are making our way through our series, discovering some everyday practices that we can do to be spiritually stronger in our walk with Jesus. So far, we've talked about carving out regular time to study the scriptures, how to put prayer into action, and we've examined how our entire lives can be used to express worship to God. Today, Pastor Nicole will expand our discussion to look at the role of giving and why we can't afford to overlook this important aspect of our walk with God. Let's get started today. Here's Pastor Nicole. So today we are continuing our series called God Strong, where we are looking at habits and practices that will help us grow strong in our faith, no matter the circumstances that we face. And these are called spiritual disciplines. And when I say spiritual disciplines, what I mean by that is regular practices that benefit our spiritual life and produce fruit. Spiritual disciplines are similar uh, to maybe an exercise plan or a diet plan, but these are habits to form that promote spiritual growth, habits that will fill up your soul. Spiritual disciplines are practical ways where we obey the command of 1 Timothy 4.7, which says, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. In that scripture, the word train is actually from the word gymnazo, which is where we get the word gymnasium. It means to exercise, to train, to discipline yourself so that you have these spiritual habits inside of you. You know, physical training is of some value, but spiritual training results in godliness. And the goal of these disciplines is godliness. Godliness is another way of describing um, holiness or Christ-likeness. And so if we want to be more like Christ, if we want to be more like Jesus, we can implement these spiritual disciplines in our lives, and it can help us grow strong in our faith and strong in, a, in our journey um, as we go toward Jesus. So we've talked about a few different spiritual disciplines. Um, first, we talked about Bible intake, uh, how we consume the Word of God, how we interact with it. We've spent a few weeks on prayer and some different ways that we can be praying. And then, of course, the last two weeks, we've talked about worship as a spiritual discipline. And as a response, uh, we are launching something awesome. In fact, starting tomorrow, so I want to remind you, Monday, July 20th, together as a church family, we are going to start 21 nonstop days of prayer and worship. Now, we're going to need each other to accomplish this. No one group of people is going to be able to pray and worship 21 days uh, straight, but I believe as a community together, as a church family, we're going to be able to do this. So here's how it's going to work. Uh, we have sent out a link uh, to a sign-up schedule. You can also find that on our website. And you go to the link and you sign up um, to pray or worship in one-hour increments. Now, you can sign up for three hours if you want, uh, but it's broken down into one-hour increments. And I really want to challenge each of you to choose at least one hour a week to pray and worship for these next three weeks, at least one hour a week. And, and at that time that you sign up, Make sure you mark it down so that you don't, you know, miss your hour. But you put on some worship music. Pray through the scripture. Uh, maybe go back and refer to that sermon we talked about on how to pray through the scripture. Um, bring God a sacrifice of praise. And so make sure that you pray for that entire hour because we want uh, 21 days of nonstop prayer and worship. You can do it from home. You can take a walk. You can go to the beach. Um, anywhere you want to go and want to be. And maybe one of my favorite things about this activity this that we're going to 
going to do together is it doesn't require you to see anyone or even leave your home. So even those with health concerns in our church family can participate. And we can do this together and we can still be a family as we go through this time. So in addition, we are planning three extra corporate worship and prayer times so that we can be together uh, during those 21 days, a little bit extra. And so if you feel like you would like to come, uh, the first of those is tomorrow evening, July 20th, from 6 to 7 p.m. in the pavilion just outside the church. We're going to try to stay outdoors as much as we can and worship and pray together. So we're super excited about that. Then on August 9th, which is when the 21 days has completed, we're going to gather together as the grand finale of the 21 days, and you won't want to miss that Sunday. I am sure um, after we cover 24-7 for 21 days of prayer and worship, God is going to meet us, and revival is going to be upon us. So today, I want to cover um, the spiritual discipline of giving, and I want to use a passage in Luke 16 to teach us what Jesus says about giving. So before we read this passage, here's a little background. Uh, Jesus speaks these words in Luke 16 immediately after telling a parable about an unjust steward. Now, in the parable, the unjust steward is actually caught squandering his master's money, and he's called to give an account of how he has used the money. Now, realizing that he has been caught, he begins to use the master's money to make friends for himself so that when he no longer has a job, he at least will have friends. And so while clearly unjust uh, because he misused his master's money, Jesus set, points to this man, uses him as an example, and says, look, this man is very shrewd. Now, that word shrewd, it means sharp. It means intelligent. It means having sharp judgment. And he says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now, Jesus does not uh, condone this man's dishonesty, but points to how clever and shrewd he is. And then the moral of this parable is that if this man can be this shrewd in things which are temporary, how much more shrewd should we be in our dealings with things that are actually eternal that will last forever? So I want to pick up right there in Luke 16, verses 10 through 13. It says this, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what Jesus is saying is that if we cannot be trusted with something as temporary and fleeting as money, as wealth, then how can we be trusted with things that are much more valuable like the things of the Spirit? That's kind of exactly what he's saying in this scripture. And then in verse 13, he gives the, uh, the, the biggest point of all. He reminds us that we cannot serve two masters. We can't serve both God and money. We're going to have to pick. Now, giving is a spiritual issue, and even more specifically, a relational issue with God. A spiritual discipline of giving is an indicator of who you trust. It's a statement of who you serve. When it comes to the spiritual discipline of giving, we have to remember some really important things, uh, particularly about wealth or about money. And I want to pull those from this scripture that we talked about. Um, the way that we look at wealth must be through the lens of scripture. 
And there are four things that I think this parable and this passage that we read from Luke 16 can help us understand when it comes to wealth and resources and money. All right, so the first thing is this. Wealth is a trust. Wealth is a trust. You know, money is something God has entrusted to our care, something which belongs to him, but which he has given us to invest on his behalf. And like the parable said, we need to think like stewards, not owners, when it comes to our resources. It's interesting because starting in Genesis 2, in the very beginning of the scripture, God gave Adam and Eve stewardship of the garden. God says, look, every tree, you can go to, you can use every tree which, which you can freely eat except for one. And exercising faithful stewardship of the garden meant leaving that one tree alone. They could pick fruit from any other tree except that one. And they were not to take fruit for themselves and then consume it. They were to leave that tree to produce fruit and let God decide where it goes. So when they chose to eat the fruit of that tree, they began acting like they were owners of the whole garden and not just stewards. They, they took liberty that God had not given them. And they began to believe that they were in charge and that they could decide what happened to all of the fruit, opposed to stewarding the fruit trees knowing God was the ultimate owner. So right here in Genesis, this is the introduction to the principle of the tithe. It's, it's an introduction to the principle of giving, that God gives us stuff, and God gives us resources, and God gives us wealth, and he asks us to steward it responsibly. It all belongs to him. He richly gives us things to enjoy. And so the tithe reminds us who is the owner. The first fruit or the first 10% comes out. So we remember that we are not the owner. We are simply the steward. You know, I think uh, really there are two different ways we can look at our resources. We can ask ourselves, how much of my money shall I use for God? Or we can ask ourselves, how much of God's money will I use for myself? And that mindset can really shift almost all of our thinking when it comes to the resources that God has given us. Okay, here's the second thing. Uh, wealth is a tool. You know, God expects that we will use resources to further his kingdom here on earth, using it as best as we can to reveal his glory and to relate his gospel to those around us. You know, think about this analogy. If we bought a really, really expensive rope, Okay, we bought this really expensive rope and we threw that rope into the water to save someone from drowning. The value of the rope, how expensive the rope is, isn't important. It's the life that we are saving is what has value. And the only reason we purchase the most expensive rope is because we value the lives of which we may have to save. And so this analogy relates like this. Money actually gets its value, its eternal value, from how much we use it to advance the kingdom of God. If you give resources, you have to bring people to Christ while you are here on earth, and then you are investing into the eternal. You know, God uses our wealth and our resources to, to feed people, to clothe people. He uses it to facilitate and spread the gospel to unreached parts of the earth. He uses money to help people understand his love and, and hear the scripture so their soul can make a decision uh, to be a follower of Jesus. And it's interesting because this is why the enemy of the, the soul works so hard to corrupt and distort our thoughts about money is because the enemy knows that God can take temporary money and turn it into reaching eternal souls. 
And so the enemy of our soul doesn't want us to participate in spirit-led giving because it advances God's purposes. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, uh, Paul is speaking, and he says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul is reminding us that God gives abundantly, but he does that so that we can abound in good works and good deeds. The excess money that he blesses us with, that unexpected check or, or that unexpected raise, is so that we can accomplish his will. And by doing good work and good deeds with our resources, it makes our light shine and it causes people to get a good impression of our Father in heaven. And so he literally gives us that extra things that he gives abundantly so that we can do the good work and the good deeds that he has planned for us. Uh, Titus 2, 13 through 14 further clarifies saying, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And so the Holy Spirit, the scripture says, makes us into people who are eager to do good works. And then he equips us with the resources to do those good works. Here's the third thing uh, that we learn about wealth and resources from this scripture is that wealth is a test. Wealth is a test. Now, giving is a way to test ourselves. It's a way to test who we serve and who we trust. But also, it is the only area in which a Christian is invited to test God. It is the only area in which a Christian is invited to test God. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if it will, I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, this is an amazing challenge from God. He says, you think you can't afford to tithe? Test me. Uh, test me. Because you will find that you cannot afford to not engage in the spiritual discipline of giving. The Lord says he will throw open the floodgates of heaven. It implies that if you are not generous or you are not giving, that something in your life is, is restricted, something is confined, something is stunted. But when you are obedient to what God asks you to do by being generous, then the God of the breakthrough uh, opens the floodgates. I imagine it in my mind's eye like, like a dam of water that just breaks loose and bursts out. And this flood washes away all the obstacles that are in front of you. It paves a way. It gives a fresh and a new start. And you know that verb, uh, break open, is in another passage too. Uh, we find it in Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. That same word for break open is also brim over. And I think this is fascinating because breakthrough here in the scripture is linked with generosity. A, a, a breaking out, a bursting out will occur when we honor God with our wealth according to his word. Breakthrough is a byproduct of generosity. Now, hear me correctly. This isn't a televangelist commercial. You can't, you can't buy a breakthrough uh, for a prayer you've been praying. You can't, you can't buy a solution from God. There isn't, that isn't how it works. But, but this is what we have to understand. Breakthroughs have nothing to do with the wealth that we have. It has nothing to do with how much money we give in the offering. We do not become more attractive or likable to God when we give more. 
God does not pay special attention to you uh, if your check is the biggest. You cannot buy or barter with the God of the universe. But what this means is Jesus Christ is the master of breakthrough for us. And because he loves us so deeply, he knows that we can never repay him. And, And, you know, religion attempts to pay God back. But having a relationship with God is when we understand that we'll never be able to repay him and all that he did for us and all that he will do will be out of sheer grace and undeserved favor. And so when we are generous, this is how it's tied to the breakthrough. When we are generous, we are obedient. And when we are obedient, we set ourselves up to be in a position where no sin, no enemy can block our breakthrough. We set up ourselves in a posture of breakthrough when we consistently are giving as a spiritual discipline. That's how breakthrough is related to generosity. The fourth one is that wealth or resources is a thermometer. It's a thermometer. And so it's a trust. It's a tool. It is uh, very important as we, as we think through and, and as we make sure it's a test. And also it's a thermometer. So how we spend our money reveals the truth about our spiritual lives. Just like a thermometer gauges uh, the temperature in a room or the temperature of something, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. And so Jesus thought the use of money was an important thermometer of your spiritual life. If you are truly his servant, if you have surrendered everything in your life to him, then one of the most elementary, external, visible signs of that internal transformation is that you will walk in obedience to him with respect to money. Because how can he truly be Lord of your life if he's not Lord of your bank account? There's no way around it. You cannot separate the stewardship of your money with the rest of your spiritual life. Those two things have to work together. And, and as we uh, work on this discipline of spiritual giving, it will make us strong. It will make our relationship with God stronger. Ultimately, giving is worship. Giving connects us more closely to God relationally. It helps our intimacy with God increase. And it helps us to be God strong. Giving becomes a way of saying thanks to God for his grace and his promised provision. There's this thing um, called Google Earth. You may have heard of it. And uh, it basically, it allows you, I'm on a computer, to, to zoom down from a picture of the globe uh, all the way down to, to even particular addresses uh, via satellite photo. Um, when I zoom down uh, to the picture of the church property, I can see my car parked in, in staff parking the day that the picture was taken. Uh, When I zoomed down on my house, I could even see our our grill on the back porch. I could see the the girl's trampoline in the yard. And what strikes me as when I'm zooming down is how very, very tiny my car is. How very, very tiny my house was. In perspective of the whole earth, even if uh, we would have owned the Taj Mahal, it would all just seem very little. And As I was doing that, God reminded me, what I own and what I have is very minuscule in comparison to what he owns. It's very minuscule in comparison to what God rules over. Psalm 24, 1 says, God owns the whole earth and everything in it. And you know, our gift to God might feel big to us because it's a sacrifice, but to God, It's only big because it acknowledges his infinite ownership. 
This little bit that I can bring, I call giving, is actually just my way of saying, you know what, here's my little part, but you own it all. You own it all. Giving, it's literally worship. It's, it's putting ourselves in a position that we are very, very small, and God is very, very big. And it's honoring God and giving him the significance that he deserves. You know, when we give, we acknowledge that God is the owner. And in us arises this expectation and this confidence that God is so powerful and so faithful that he will not only use our gifts for his larger, his larger eternal purposes, but he will meet our needs as well. Staying God strong means that we incorporate the spiritual discipline of giving into our rhythms of life. So let's pray together today as we look at this word. Let's ask God for his blessing and his perspective on our lives. So pray with me. Father God, I come to you today, and I pray that you would help us be generous. I pray that you would help us trust you. God, I pray that um, as we uh, think about the way that we're giving, as we think about the resources and the wealth that we have, Father, that, that we would trust you even bigger than we have before. I pray that you would make us trustworthy with what you have given us so that, that you can even give us more and that we could advance the kingdom uh, as you see it, as you see fit. Would you teach our hearts just how to use our wealth, how to use our resources as a tool to advance your kingdom? And would you give us the courage to test you in this as you say in the scripture, Lord, we're believing for big things. We're believing for breakthrough as we're obedient in the generosity that you call us to. God, we love you, and we just give you praise today. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. You can find all our series videos and podcasts at eriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.